0: better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. You don't have to think another face in the crowd. And we are live. Welcome, folks, to episode 3273 of the Survival Podcast, episode 38 of the Bitcoin Breakout. Mike's a little bit off to the side there. Let's pull it in, see if that makes the sound a little more five by five. So what are we going to do today? We we don't have an interview today for Bitcoin Breakout. I thought it would be a good day to do two things. One, kind of back up a little bit and handle a lot of really basic questions I've been getting. I've been getting some questions and even one just point out saying, how about a basic glossary of terms? And uh, a bunch of really basic questions as well. And I realized something about it. One, the glossary stuff, guys, I'm going to do this today. But please do not hesitate to simply look something up and determine what it is for yourself. A lot of the questions that I was asked, like, well, what is a node or what is a UTXO or something? Like, if you Googled what is a UTXO, you would get an answer that's actually a pretty decent answer. But I do think it also helps to kind of have... Redneck, hippie, duck farmer level explanation, some of these things. So we'll do that. But please don't hesitate to do your own research. I mean, Bitcoiners, we are the people that say don't trust, verify, right? So all of this information is out there. Bitcoin is a very mature protocol at this point, and there's plenty of information. I know sometimes people don't know what to trust. And when it comes to investing, where to spend your money and stuff like that, what to use, I understand that. But when it comes to like, well, what is a UTXO? How is a UTXO different than an address? What is an address versus an account? The information that's there is pretty solid, so don't be afraid to do that. Then we're going to switch kind of the second half of the show. We're going to talk about Bitcoin's future and as a strategy for an uncertain future using Bitcoin. And toward the end, we'll dig into some of this stuff about people being afraid of CBDCs and the WEF. And uh honestly, my last Bitcoin, or my last Bitcoin, my last bullet point for today's show is. Why I'm not afraid of CBDCs and the WEF or things like that. So that's what we're gonna to have today. Hopefully, it'll be somewhat of an orange pill moment for some, a clarification moment for some. And a lot of you guys that are all in on Bitcoin, you still have this fear, and I wanna to try to take a lot of that away today. So that's our goal today. Before we do that, let's go ahead and hear from our sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day, number one today is Start9. Where you can get your very own embassy server they have two different options kind of a smaller lighter one kind of a family level and a much bigger more powerful server that's something that you can really run a lot of services even for a fairly expanded somewhat large community of users where you can provide your own hosted things like end-to-end encrypted messaging that really is end-to-end and encrypted and doesn't trust any third party. You can store all of your information, your data, your images, et cetera, in a way that doesn't rely on the cloud because there is no cloud. Well, there has to be a cloud, Jack. People tell me about the cloud all the time and cloud computing. There is no cloud. There's no cloud. There's somebody else's computer that they control and manage, and you have to trust. How about you had your own computer that you managed and you trust? Well, I, Jack, I just can't do that. I'm not sophisticated like you are, guys. I am not sophisticated. I'm not. I'm sophistic. I have a sophisticated wine palate. I am not a sophisticated computer administrator. But if you can run apps on your phone, you can run an embassy server. You might have to work a little bit to figure some things out, like running your own Lightning node and stuff like that. But most of this is as simple as installing an app. And then maybe installing another app on your phone so you can have, you're running your own messaging and you have your own messenger app. And then you give people, hey, go get this app, log, set up your account. And they are using your service instead of Google's or Telegram's or what have you. Your data, your service is you all on top of the Embassy OS. And remember, guys, you can get a discount if you're a member of my support brigade. 9% and 9% off an Embassy server is a big Discount and of course the page won't load, but the embassy one is four hundred ninety nine bucks. Do the nine percent on that, right? Uh, the the server pro seventeen ninety nine nine percent. If you also if you also were to um, use the fold card, buy a gift card and then use the start nine gift card to buy your embassy. You get 9% back on that in sats, so a total of 18% off because Jack shows you the way with the sponsors. Next up today, the Ridge Wallet. We're going to talk about Bitcoin wallets today, whether they're soft wallets, whether they're hardware wallets, what have you, desktop, et cetera. But we all also tend to need a wallet to carry things around like credit cards, ID, and things like that in them. The problem is that today there are so many simple, cheap ways where you can actually commit identity theft with a sensor with some parts you can buy for less than 20 bucks off eBay. Well, if you put your wallet, if you put your stuff in a wallet like the Ridge Wallet that's encased in metal, aluminum, titanium, etc., it will be protected against that. Plus, it just looks cool. And Ridge Wallet's been a sponsor of this show for going on six years now. They have a really cool lineup of EDC stuff, stuff that works great, functions great, and looks great. You really should check them out. They're at Ridge.com. And remember, MSB members, you also get a discount, 10% off everything at Ridge Wallet. Everything at Ridge.com. Everything they make if you're a member. If you're not a member, maybe you should become a member. Alright, what are we going to talk about today? Bitcoin as a plan for an uncertain future, but let's back up a little bit first and help out some people that are new. And if you're like a, a an OG Bitcoiner, you know all this stuff cold. I'm hoping this can help you as well. I believe that evangelism of important ideas is something that we should engage in. So I am a, for instance, I am a permaculture evangelist. I teach permaculture because I believe that teaching people how to design their living space, their outdoor space, et cetera, so that they can provide many of their own needs from natural systems and not depend on somebody else is important. I think teaching somebody how to feed themselves, how to be energy efficient, I think that's important. And I think that if I, get you to listen to me about it, I don't directly gain. Now, I may get, as a podcaster, I might gain followers. As a teacher, I might gain students. But in the end, I don't really gain just because I talked about permaculture and you went and did it. The indirect gain, sure. But overall, I could get a thousand people to start practicing permaculture today. They win more than I win because they bring that into their life. And I think if you're going to really evangelize something, then then something that changes people's lives for the better, even if it doesn't help you, is the thing to evangelize. That's the, the term usually invokes thoughts of, uh, you know, Christian evangelism or some other form of re- religious evangelism. And why do people engage in that? And, you know, you could say some churches are suspect to filling pews and offering plates. But in general, I think most religious people tell other people about their faith because they believe that the person who receives the good news will be better for having received it, right? Well, I believe the person that receives the good news of Bitcoin will be better off than if they hadn't. And I I would rest on the fact that this audience is fairly large. I've been recommending Bitcoin, at least in some form, since 2013. And I've never had anybody email me that actually was angry with me because they got involved in Bitcoin because of me. Not once. And it's thousands upon thousands of people. So I think that telling others about Bitcoin is important, and understanding how to explain something you understand is important. And I think that there's this misconception that if you really understand something, you can explain it to somebody who doesn't, and they'll understand it. That's not true. If you've mastered something, uh, maybe, but still not, I guarantee you we could take somebody who has a fundamental understanding of astrophysics, and then... Just take any individual up to the point where their understanding of physics and and, and what have you begins to break down and then take that guy and say, explain it to him. And he may or may not be able to do it. There is a value in analogy and there's a value in breaking things down to simplistic. And one of the places people are highly technical fail is they become so concerned with being 100% technically right. They're unwilling to back off to 90, 95% technically right. With a lot of analogy and easy to relate to and understand things. So the person understands the concept, which honestly, in many of the things we talk about in technology, Bitcoin, etc., is more important that the concept is grasped than the exact nature of how. The person with the sincere desire for the exact nature of how will pursue it. So you have to understand there's two types of questions that people ask about Bitcoin when they're not in the fold yet, or not, even if they have a little bit, they're not fully in, fully accepting of it yet. There is a sincere, I want to understand question, and there is, I want to make an excuse that it's not going to work, and it's okay for me to avoid a question. I think in the second instance, if you can identify that's what it is, then you very nicely say, you know, Well, Bitcoin works. If you really want to know more about how something specific works, I'll see what I can do to help you. But if you want me to convince you that Bitcoin's right for you, I'm not going to do that. Because the most powerful word in sales and marketing, and when you're evangelizing your marketing, right, your marketing is no. And it's much more effective to say, I don't think you're ready, but if you decide you are, let me know. Than it is to keep pushing when somebody's resisting so that's first the second one though where the person has a sincere desire often you're talking to somebody and if you've been on this path for two, three, four, five years then you might blow out and say something like well you run your own node and then you can manage by UTXO." and that person just heard blah 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 they have no idea what the hell you're talking about and then you back up and try to explain it. so i'm going to go through i think there's like nine terms here that I've been asked about a lot one I made up for myself that's important as we transition uh, at the end but the first one is what is a node and I think it's easier to answer what a node is than go straight into what is a full node or a lightning node because those are next and let's not even worry about a bitcoin node a node is a device on a network that relays information that, that yeah again I'm back to being 90% right so that you can understand the concept rather than trying to 100% go, well what exactly makes a device a node or not a node? Don't worry about it. It doesn't matter. Right? If you're asking that question, what is a node? Then it's enough to understand it is a device on a network that relays, receives and it has information exchange with other devices. Okay? It's just a thing that exists on a network. In the case of Bitcoin, A node, right, is a computer running specific software on the network that is the Bitcoin blockchain. And that's what a Bitcoin node is, right? It's a device. In this case, it's usually a computer, right? A a desktop. A lot of people just run a desktop. You download the software. You install the node. And it's, it's available now. And it can see the network. And the network can see it. And all it does is say, okay, every 10 minutes, there's a new block. That block updates everything, right? It updates, um, it updates who has what and who doesn't have what, okay? Right? It updates how many Bitcoin exist, how many were created that were mined, who has them. It just signals, I see this and this is... I, I, I'm i going to say that this is the way, the state of the world right now, yeah? Just for the Bitcoin blockchain. And then that leads us to what's called consensus. When more than 51% of the nodes say, I see it this way, it's permanently locked in, right? And at that point, the new block will be built on top of it. And what this does is it keeps anybody from changing things. And the more nodes the more votes is to the way things are. And this is the defense of the network. You do not have to run a node. I'm going to tell you that right now. You do not have to run a node. And a lot of people kind of put pressure on newbies. You need to run your own node, man, so you can help out. I would say early in the Bitcoin days, it was really important to get as many node operators up and running as we can. We've got enough people running nodes, enough people that are mining, and every miner is running a node, but not every node runner's running a, a mining rig. Um, we're okay, we're good, Bitcoin is secure between the hash rate and the number of nodes and we'll get to the other thing in a second. But it is a good thing to do, it's not that hard to do, you can, uh, if you have a powerful enough computer with enough space on it, you can simply install software and run a node, that way you can build a standalone node, you can buy a node that's ready to go, you can get a start nine embassy, and in a couple of clicks you have a Bitcoin node up and running. But people then went, well what's a full node? Okay. Well, a full node simply means that the node you're running, the device on the network that's talking to all the other nodes and saying, this is what I see, has everything back to the Genesis block. And that just means the first transaction on Bitcoin. All of it, from the beginning to the the current state, and every 10 minutes we add another block to the chain. These are the changes that happened in the last 10 minutes. This is the new Bitcoin that was created, and these were the exchanges that were made. These were inscriptions. People put notes onto the blockchain, things like that. That's all a full node is, is it goes all the way back. There's also something called the pruned node. It should be pretty easy to understand. It's not everything all the way back, because the reality is, Nobody's really worried about a change being made to what the blockchain said on June 22nd in 2016. It's important that that record remain intact, and some people do that, but we can reduce the amount of data and therefore the storage space we need by running a pruned node. Okay, And many devices that are kind of pre-configured run pruned nodes for that very reason. It is not necessary. I'm going to say this again, even though some people purists will get mad at me. It is not necessary for every pleb out there running a node to have the entire blockchain all the way back to Satoshi Nakamoto. The fact that you can is important, but it's not important that everybody do it because many people never run a node in the first place. So if it's okay for them not to run a node and you do run a node, if you want to run a prune node for resource uh, protection to use less resources, that's okay. Nothing wrong with it. So then what is a lightning node? Okay, so if the Bitcoin node is a device that communicates on the Bitcoin network that sends signals and transmits its information, then a lightning node simply does the same thing on the lightning network. If you ask the question, what is a lightning node? You're probably not ready to run one yet. And the reason is that running a Lightning node is a more complex operation than running a Bitcoin node. If you want to run a Lightning node, you also have to run a Bitcoin node. And it's because a Lightning transaction, right, the money that moves onto the Lightning network, is a layered solution. Once it's on top of the other, everything that goes onto the Lightning network, in spite of what many people that try to use FUD and say the banks do it or whatever, is secured by an on-chain Bit- Bitcoin transaction. So when I set up a Lightning node, for instance, and I say I want to put a certain amount of uh, Bitcoin so that I can use it on my Lightning channel for something called liquidity, we'll get to it, so just wait, that I have to actually send money into my Lightning node from the Bitcoin chain into an off-chain status, okay? And that very transaction is what allows that money to move there. Then I can move it around or I can... Use it to create something called liquidity. And the way Lightning works is that because you're, you're kind of in some ways trusting another party, there's a certain amount of credit that we call liquidity that's on the channel. And I'll open a channel, let's say, with Wallet of Satoshi. And I'll put 2 million Satoshis on that. And that lets me receive through them into my node somebody else's Bitcoin. That 2 million Satoshis isn't gone. It's there. It's like beads on an abacus. It moves back and forth. I send, it moves to that side if it uses their node, right? And if if it uses their node to come in, it moves back to my side. And when it's too much on my side, there's ways that we're not going to get into today that I can push that liquidity back over to their side. And that keeps me liquid, in other words, able to receive. And this is not that big a deal. And it is like, say, if you want to understand it, you can go deeper than I just gave you. And you can run your own node and you can learn. It's very much worth learning from. But you're getting into a realm where do you know exactly how all the protocols work that allow you to open up your email program and receive emails and send emails? Some people care. Some people care more than others. And some people just want their email to work. I think most people in the Bitcoin space, when it comes to Lightning, are not going to be node operators. And they are going to use solutions like Wallet of Satoshi or Blue Wallet or what have you. And this is why it's okay. You do not keep, especially if you're not running your own node and doing it for a profit, you do not keep large amounts of Bitcoin in Lightning. Lightning is spending money. Most Lightning transactions today are going across things like the Value for Value podcast network, you know, Podcasting 2.0, Fountain uh, guys are all of that stuff. And they're relatively small. You know, not say, somebody sent you, you 50,000 Satoshis. It's five bucks, right? It's, it's, it's not a huge amount of money. And it's the kind of money, again, that you would take paper bills, fold them in half and stick them in your front left pocket and go out and spend cash with. And so for most people, and all you do, if you are engaged in commerce And you're receiving to Lightning, and that number gets to a point where you're no longer comfortable with it as bills in your pocket. Then you send a piece of it back to your regular on-chain Bitcoin addresses, and then it's secured on-chain. And I don't want to go deeper into Lightning today, but a Lightning node is just a device on the Lightning network that allows that exchange to happen. And that's, that's way more complicated than I wanted to get. But as I said, some of these things, if you're going to explain them, you have to get into the weeds a little bit. Uh, Another thing that I've been asked about is what the hell is a UTXO? And I often say that a UTXO is address, is an address is a way to think about it. And the, More accurate way to say that is all UTXOs are addresses, but not all addresses are UTXOs. And another way to say that would be that a UTXO is really how an address communicates with how much money is available on it. Okay, so what it actually means, unspent transaction output, unspent transaction output. So I wanna try to make this super simple. So obviously this would be a lot of money, but by rounding it off to exact numbers, it maybe will make sense to you. Bill has no Bitcoin. Bill is sad. Bill has zero Bitcoin, but Bill has a wallet. He's downloaded a wallet and he generates an address. And he says, somebody send Bill some Bitcoins. And we're gonna go back in time when Bitcoins were like five bucks. So Bill's buddy sends Bill, three whole bitcoins fifteen dollars today that's what like almost 60 grand no it's almost 90 grand right um so so bill now has three bitcoins those three bitcoins went to an address we're gonna call that address XYZ just to keep it simple so bill's address XYZ that does not have bill's name on it it's just in it's just managed by a wallet that bill controls has three bitcoin it now has an unspent transaction output of three bitcoin there's three Bitcoin on that address that's available to go somewhere else that hasn't been spent, right? So it went from a zero, not a UTXO, to a UTXO with three Bitcoins. Yep. Bill is like, this is pretty cool, and, and Mike has an apple. So Bill wants the, a box of apples, and he says it's five bucks. So Bill sends Mike one Bitcoin. Mike's address receives that Bitcoin. That one Bitcoin is now the UTXO on that address. Mike has one, and Bill has two because one went away. It's the unspent balance. That's all that it is. What we're really so that's technically accurate, and when you say it's an address that has Bitcoin on it, it's not technically accurate because it's really the piece of information that goes out and says it. But if we were managing by UTXO, that means we know on this address, this Bitcoin came in on this day, and it was worth this much when it came in. It's worth this much when it goes out. This is important for taxes. And this is where you want to start thinking as you get a larger and larger bag of Bitcoin. Hardware wallet, you know, running your own node, managing by UTXO, because now I can say if I need to sell Bitcoin, I can specifically sell the UTXOs that I bought the Bitcoin at the highest amount for and either create a loss on my taxes or mitigate the gain. That's one of the reasons. I also would be able to say this I bought on an exchange, so it's probably associated with me. And this somebody gave me or bought something from me for on this address. Somebody bought a membership from me that we're not connected in any way. This is a lot more of an anonymous chunk of Satoshi's than this one over here that I bought through a KYC exchange. Way more complex than it needs to be. You don't need to understand all that, but that's how it works. Another thing I've been asked about, and I hear the word being used inaccurately all the time, is account. An account is something associated with you, and all things revolve around an account. There is no such thing as a Bitcoin account. Bitcoin does not have accounts. Bitcoin has addresses, and each address has an individually manageable UTXO. So whenever somebody says to me, Jack, I would like to pay you for MSV and Bitcoin, I go into my wallet, I generate a new address, and I say, send it here. If Bill does that today and pays me 50 bucks for one-year membership, and tomorrow Sue says, I want to pay you, my wallet generates a completely new address. And one is on a UTXO of money that I received from, from Bill and the other from I received from, two, from from Sue. And they're on different addresses. If I'm using a product like Ethereum, it is account-based. You have a number. That is the number forever. Now, you could get another wallet and create a new account number, But every Ethereum you receive will come to that address, which is actually an account, and leave that account. Meaning, it's actually, in spite of all the claims, complicated unless you specifically target a person intentionally to really make heads or tails of what's going on on the Bitcoin blockchain. It's dramatically simple to do with the Ethereum blockchain if you can even call it that because once I know your address it's the same everywhere you see how much more complicated that is that's an account-based system one string of information attached to one user forever addresses are places that the money can go and you have access to all of them and so when somebody says they have a bitcoin account there's two things they mean one they don't understand what I just said and they think that their wallet is an account. It isn't. It is a list of addresses and a way to access them. That's it. Okay. Or they mean I have an account with Coinex, Bitrix, Coinbase, Strike, and I hold all my Bitcoin there. You don't have a Bitcoin account. You have a financial account that also includes some allocated Bitcoin. Does that make? I hope that makes sense. You don't have Bitcoin. And I don't hate Strike for instance, right? Strike's a great company. I love Strike. But I'm not holding my money in Strike long term. I'm buying Bitcoin or I'm I'm taking dollars and sending them and they're turning into Bitcoin on the other side. Cuz I have an account with Strike, I have custody of the information that controls my Bitcoin. An account means someone else is involved. And if you think, "But Jack, I self-custody my Ethereum." I have a I have a hardware wallet just like you, and I use it paired to a software wallet, and I have all my Ethereum in there, and no one can do anything about it. I am sorry to tell you that you are wrong. Nobody can do anything to get inside that hardware wallet any more than they could if you were holding Bitcoin in it. But the Ethereum Foundation can and has shut down individual Ethereum account numbers because you have an account and it goes through a centralized database you can write as many white papers as many VC proposals as you want you can put the word decentralized in there over and over again it's not so let's go to decentralized what does that mean that means that it's actually decentralized that means there is no person entity or small group thereof that can make a change that propagates across the entire network without the last term I have, which we'll come back to later, consent of the government. So, you know, the Ethereum Foundation can just say, oh, you know what we're going to do? We're going go to we're gonna go to proof of stake from proof of work. We're going to burn a shitload of Ethereum. We're going to change the monetary policy of Ethereum because we want to. And you can go, but I don't want you to. And they can go, I don't give a shit. The Ethereum Foundation can and has blocked accounts. The government says this account's being used for, I don't know, we'll we'll just make it up. Let's say it's terrorism, like they donated money to a trucker or something. Uh, They can lock that. They're using Tornado, which is like a way that mixed it up and tried to obfuscate who had what. And so we don't like that. So they'll lock those accounts. Like All of that can happen. With Bitcoin, that can't happen. And it's back to where we started with a node. All of those devices on the network that go, I see it. This is what I see. Hey, this is what I got. And then they all agree and you get consensus, 51%, and it goes to the next block. That is truly decentralized because no one device, no one node has any more authority in its vote than anybody else. If I have 1,000 Bitcoin and you have one and we're both running a node, our voice is identical. It is the same. I can't exhort influence just because I have more Bitcoin. Like people are like, Bitcoin centralized, man. Michael Saylor's company owns 5,000 Bitcoin. First of all, that's relatively small compared to 21 million. Second of all, that ain't how it works. That's just somebody having, that's like saying gold is centralized because one person has a lot of gold. That's not how, that does not make gold centralized. If you put all the gold in a box and then people control it, right, like a, like a banking system based on gold, then the gold is centralized. But if the gold's in individual hands, it's decentralized. And if the ability to change the nature of gold is maintained by nature, then gold stays decentralized. And if you don't have something by nature to maintain the ability to change the nature of a thing, then you have to create it with software. That's what Bitcoin did. It laid down a foundation where no person can overtake the network and change anything, right? And we'll talk about consent of the governed at the end, but that's decentralized. Uh, A term that also gets thrown around a lot, taxable event. What is a taxable event? I am speaking now from a standpoint of compliance with United States tax law. No other tax entities are being discussed. So what you have to do in Germany or Europe, I don't know or care because I don't live there and I don't have time to learn everybody's laws. If your individual state has laws about this that are unique to your state, I don't know. You need a, a CPA from your state. From the federal government, a taxable event with Bitcoin is, or any crypto, when you receive it as a form of payment, it is taxable at that point for the value that it had when you received it. So you sell an item for $100, you're supposed to report received $100 of revenue. That's taxable. Buying it is not a taxable event. You can go buy a million dollars worth of Bitcoin right now. You have no no obligation under law or code to report that on your taxes. Other than the question they say, have you bought, held, touched crypto this year? That's a trap. Don't say no if the answer is yes, because it doesn't mean you owe any money. That's a way to get you for lying and committing fraud on a form. Don't fall into that trap. Okay? So I bought a million dollars worth of Bitcoin. Nothing happens. Bitcoin 10x's and my million dollars becomes $10 million. Not a taxable event. Unrealized gain. Nothing happens. Okay? That's it. Unrealized. I have not sold it. I have not created a taxable event. I received it at a million dollars as payment, million dollars revenue. Goes up to be worth $10 million. Don't owe any taxes. Didn't spend it. Didn't exchange it. Unrealized gain. Just like a stock. At the point that I get rid of it in any way, I trade it to another crypto. I sell it for dollars or I spend it as money. That is the other side of a taxable event. And the tax is calculated based on when I, let's say I got one Bitcoin, it was worth $10. I sold the Bitcoin when it was at $20, or I bought something worth while it was worth $20. Either way, I have now realized a gain of 10 and I owe on my taxes a capital gain of $10. That's it. Doesn't matter how I divest of it. I exchange it to another crypto, I exchange it for U.S. dollars, or spend it as money. Anything that changes the, the fact that I possess Bitcoin into I possess something else, is a taxable event. It doesn't mean you're going to pay taxes on it. It means by the letter of the law, you are supposed to pay taxes on it. So I receive it as a form of compensation. It's like receiving money. I spend it. There's a base that it came in at and where it goes out at. If I didn't receive it and I bought it, there's no in tax. But if I spend it or convert it, there's an out tax. Now, the important thing to know, There are times when you may want to sell your Bitcoin. I know Jack said never sell your Bitcoin. I know Michael Saylor said it, but, and it may go, it may not be this way for much longer. Who knows? I think they'll close this. There's something about, you know, financial IQ and doing things that make you the most money in the long run, uh, in spite of maybe spending a little bit of money up front. So, stocks, mutual funds, most other things are subject to what's known as the wash rule. And what this means is if I go out today and I buy a 1,000 shares of Ford stock for $10 a share, it's $100,000 worth of Ford stock, yeah? And Ford gets woke, goes broke, and their stock value goes from uh, uh, $10 to 5 And now I own $50,000 worth of Ford stock at the end of the tax year. Let's say it's like November. The year's not over yet. I've lost... But just like if it went up, if I didn't sell it, I don't pay tax on it. If it goes down, I don't get the tax deduction, the tax loss, unless I sell it. So with the case of Ford stock, I sell the Ford stock. I have to wait. I think it's 60 days. It might be 30 days. It's one or the other. I have to wait if I want to buy Ford stock back. Otherwise, every year, you would phone up your investment advisor and say, sell and immediately buy back everything we can, we can report a loss on. Because all you would lose is a little bit of trading fees, right? But everybody that had a brain, everybody that wasn't being spiteful about, oh, I don't want to sell, I don't want to hold forever. Look, you, don't, you, you end up owning the same amount. You just capture the loss and then you take it off of your income and pay less taxes. Well, the government, in their infinite wisdom, we can't have the plebs doing that, investment plebs, right, with their shit. So we need to make sure they can't do it. We have our own ways of not paying tax on capital gains. Don't worry about it. But for them, we need to close this, and we'll do a wash rule. Well, because they've handled crypto in this weird way, because this isn't just Bitcoin. This is all crypto that this is about. uh, There is no wash rule. So you can literally sell Bitcoin every time you have a loss. Capture the loss and buy it back instantly. and All you're out is a trading fees. Now, doing this all year long, many, many times is probably inviting a, a, an audit. And it's probably not wise. But if you were in a bear market year and you had a bunch of Bitcoin that you knew you could manage by UTXO, right? Now we know what that means. And you could say, if I sell this, this $40,000 worth of Bitcoin, that I have $80,000 into, I can take a $40,000 capital loss and there's a cap on how much you can take. But, and you can actually, if it exceeds the cap, you can prorate it over a couple of years and I can reduce my tax burden and it's going to cost me a hundred bucks in trading fees? Doing that. And this is one of the reasons I love Swan Bitcoin. They actually ran a seminar in December realizing how many customers they had that could do this. And this is legal. Let me explain something about what I'm explaining here. This is so legal that you could use the same software I use for my live feed, StreamYard. You could video yourself making the trades. You could put it on a little memory card and include it in your tax return. And the agent that processes it could open it up, stick it in their computer and watch it. And all they would say is, it's a pretty effective use of tax code. need to note that down for my crypto bros so that they do it too. There's nothing about it illegal, there's nothing about it that is not within the intentions of the code for now. So that's important to know. And that's why taxable event doesn't always mean bad. Because taxable could be tax loss. Again, more complicated than I wanted to go today. Private key. A lot of people, what's a private key? So every address is an address. Right? We already talked about what address is. And if it has money on it, there's a UTXO kind of pointing off it going, this is how much I have. Well, if you want to move money off of that address, that's a public key. There is a private key that goes on the other side that's managed by your wallet, okay? And they're both very long strings of numbers, and they have to match. You don't just need a, a valid private key. You need to know which public key it goes with. And the, the sheer mathematical odds of guessing a private key Because it's just the amount of numbers in the string, and it's alphanumeric. It's a lot of options there, right? Just the odds of doing it are about the same as I'm going to randomly select one atom out of the known universe, and it's going to be the right atom. So think about how secure it would be if you went to, you know, a beach, and somebody said you have to pick the right grain of sand. You wouldn't even try, you'd be like, whatever, I'm going to go swimming because that's not going to happen. You know you're not going to get the right grain of sand. When you try to pick the right grain of sand, it's actually higher odds that the the right grain of sand will be in your ass crack. When you take a shower, it'll go down the drain than you picking the right one. Both are pretty unlikely though. So you're just going to go on with your life and say this won't work. That's the odds of guessing a private key. That's why we have to guard that information along with your, your key phrase that we won't get into today. Very, very carefully, because that's how we control the Bitcoin. One more time on this. You do not own Bitcoin. I do not own Bitcoin. I possess and have custody, custody of information that allows me to control a given amount of Bitcoin. The Bitcoin is all in the blockchain. There is no Bitcoin in your wallet. Wallet is a terrible word that we use for this. And we're stuck with it because people believe in wallets. And it makes sense because people have wallets. They carry wallets. So, wallet is in our vernacular, which is why it was used early on. But really what you have is a signing device, a GUI, a graphic user interface, right, where you can move Bitcoin around by controlling information. That's all a wallet is, is information. That's important where we're going next. I've been asked repeatedly about Coinbase Wallet. You say how it holds your own keys. Well, I got Coinbase Wallet and I have my own keys. I would say if you're addicted to Coinbase for whatever reason, okay, and you want to use Coinbase's wallet, I'm not going to talk about XRP. I'm not going to talk about XRP. I'm not going to talk about shit coins, Militant. No, don't ask. Anyway, no shit coins in this. We're not talking about shit coins today. Bitcoin, okay? Um, So if you have Coinbase wallet, versus a Coinbase account, I would say that you are in a better position than having it on Coinbase and Coinbase's account. I can't say how much better. Okay, so the Coinbase wallet, first of all, is not an open source wallet. It is a closed source wallet, which means they possess control and have all the code. So it hasn't ever really been like dumped on a GitHub where all of the hackers can dig into it, look for vulnerabilities, or look for backdoors. So you're trusting that Coinbase hasn't built a backdoor into their own wallet. I'm not saying they did. Okay. I'm not saying they did. I'm not saying they did. I'm just saying you're trusting that they didn't. And Coinbase gets a bad rap and some of it they've earned, but all in all, they have stood up to the government at times. I can at least say that about them. They also stood up to the government before they were a publicly traded company that fell under Complete and total control of the SEC. So, who knows? We do know that they have worked with surveillance companies in the auspices of protecting us from bad actors. And, you know, every exchange participates in KYC and AMA, American money laundering, and, and all that, AML, right? So, it is what it is. But here's the way I look at it you're using their node their wallet, and their purchasing service, and all three are linked together. Translation would be, in my opinion, that there would be a decided amount of knowledge that Coinbase would have over what's going on with your money after you withdrew it that would be greater than if you were using another wallet. So that's one reason I don't recommend it. Two is there's nothing about the Coinbase wallet that's particularly better than any other wallet. Okay, except for the convenience of it can attach and link to your Coinbase account, which I personally don't want. So there's other wallets that are better. And if you're the kind of person you want to hold multiple currencies, you want to hold your shit coins, you want your XRP or whatever. By the way, I think they threw that out of Coinbase wallet. Um, (laughs) And you want customer service. This is why I recommend Exodus. If you have a problem with your Exodus wallet and you ask for help the same day, you will get help. Coinbase has had shitty customer service as long as I've known about them. They're an easy place to buy Bitcoin and get it off the exchange. That's what, That's it. If you can use PayPal, you can use Coinbase. That's the only reason I recommend them. And I recommend them purchase and go away and nothing else. So using their wallet is something else. There's another issue. They have a browser extension, which I don't like browser extensions as Bitcoin wallets, right? Little amounts of money, like the Albi extension for Noster and changing money on websites, and you're on a lightning network, that's different. But when it comes to on, like, if I'm going to custody my Bitcoin, I don't want to do it with a browser extension. So there's a Chrome browser extension, which means it will work with Chrome-based browsers like Brave, but I don't want to do that. So I don't have a desktop. I don't have a product that's superior in any way. I still have to keep track of my keyword phrases. Now I have to trust that Coinbase doesn't have a backdoor. I have to trust that Coinbase isn't using its knowledge that I'm the wallet owner and what UTXOs are there when it goes through their node to not track and report. See, I'm I'm just out. I'm just out of that. And the thing is, it wouldn't be any harder to get Coinami or Exodus or Zeus if you ran your own node or whatever and and run a wallet that's independent of Coinbase. You're still going to just take the money from Coinbase and send it to the wallet. So that's why I don't want Coinbase wallet. I just don't. I don't think it makes any sense. And I don't think you should use it. I still say because they're probably not lying about you really holding your own keys without them having any backdoor, they're probably not, you're still better off, but you could be better and you wouldn't have to do anything else. You wouldn't have to go to a hardware wallet. I think you would be better off with an Exodus or a Coinami than a Coinbase wallet, even if you don't get a hardware wallet, yeah? Uh, A lot of times, cold storage versus hot storage. The easiest way I can explain this, when you have a, let's use Exodus paired with a Trezor to explain this as simple as possible. So I have Exodus, you send me a Bitcoin. I have my Exodus wallet on my laptop that's right in front of me, the one I'm using to do this this show with. And so then I close my Exodus wallet and I have a password on there, password 1234, because I'm stupid, right? And so anybody that gets my device, opens the wallet, sees a password prompt, and maybe I'm an idiot because I use a a, a password like password12345. I wrote it down on a sticky note. They stick it in there, right? I use the same password as my laptop, whatever. They stick it in there. voila, there is my Exodus wallet with my $28,000 Bitcoin on it. And they go, you know what? I have a wallet, too. They stick their own address in, they hit send, there goes my Bitcoin, it's gone. Because it's on a hot device. Which means that person doesn't necessarily have to sneak into my house, do they? They could be sitting somewhere over in the Middle East, hacking away with all their little bots and shit, and manage to get a keystroke logger onto my computer. They get their keystroke logger onto my computer, and they're able to discern the information they need to get on my computer remotely as me. Plus, they're able to discern my password from Afghanistan. Guy gets on my computer, opens up my Exodus wallet, enters my password, sends my Bitcoin to himself, and I'm screwed. That's the risk of a hot wallet. What are the odds of that happening? If you have general good network practices and security practices, pretty low. But it's possible. It's also possible somebody breaks in your house and steals your laptop. Or you leave your phone with your freaking software wallet with your whole Bitcoin or 10 Bitcoins in it somewhere and somebody gets your phone and starts needling away at your phone to figure that information out. Additionally, every time you're on the device, whether you're using the wallet or not, you're subject to that type of probing, that type of hacking to see what's going on. And not only once I get in, I oh, he has a wallet installed. Now I know to watch for it. Yeah. Okay, so that's a software wallet. Big step up from an exchange. Hardware wallet. So now I have my wallet on my computer, and I have this is my actual wallet that I carry around my original wallet, but let's say this is a hardware wallet. Okay. Somebody gets my computer, they open my computer, there's my exodus. It says Exodus Zero, Trezor One, one Bitcoin. So they click on that. Oh shit, he's got a Bitcoin. And then they look, and I'm going to send it to myself. They hit the send. It's grayed out. It won't work. Somebody steals your computer. Won't work. They have to also have the hardware wallet. You have to plug the hardware wallet into the device. Then you have to enter a PIN code on the hardware wallet. And then you can send from that wallet. So you have to have... Some device running the software and the hardware paired together physically to move the money. Which one's harder to move the money with? The one where you control the little hardware device. Now, the other side of it. This is why I like Trezor and Exodus. I want money because I don't hate money. Hanging Laundry here goes, Jack, awesome show today. I want to directly on chain send you 100 bucks. Thanks, dude. Hold on, I'll get you an address. I open my Exodus wallet without the hardware wallet. It's locked away in a fire safe somewhere. Okay? It's gone. I can't send money if I want to. I go into the Trezor side, still there, grayed out on the send, but receive is not. I hit receive. It generates an address. I give it to Hangin' Laundry. He sends me a hundred bucks. I'm like, woohoo, I got a hundred bucks worth of Bitcoin. It's it's now being managed and controlled by my hardware wallet. I can see it with the software wallet, but if I want to spend it or move it, I need the hardware wallet. This is why it's such a big upgrade in security. And the Trezor Model T and Exodus is the easiest thing for people to learn how to use. Is it as good as running your own node? And No, but it's so good. It's so good that one thing you do know is no one's going to be able to take your money from you. It would be, and here's the thing, criminals go after what's easy. What do they go after? Account information. It's much easier to hack into a brokerage, you know, like a Coinbase or something like that and get all of people's information and try to attack the money in mass before it's decentralized out to self-custody. Working on trying to get into one dude's wallet, even if he's got a couple hundred grand in it, They could make more money stealing information from the credit associations and selling them on the dark web than they'll ever make trying to get in a year one wallet and the resources that will take if you take that step. Right. So that's what makes Bitcoin so powerful. Once you have it in cold storage, you truly possess the information in an incredibly defensible way and a defensible way that requires no use of violence. You notice I didn't say, like, if you come try to get my Bitcoin, I'll shoot you in the face. Right. I'll shoot you in the face. No, I just said you can't have it. Good luck. And that is, the, that is the huge difference between Bitcoin and any other form of money. It is the first form of money we've ever had where it is completely defensible without the use of violence. It's defensible with technology. Somebody can break in your house and take your gold. Somebody breaks in your house and takes your hardware wallet, that's fine. Good luck. See what you're going to do with it. Because I got the passphrase information somewhere else, and I'm just going to use that, create a new wallet, and, and, and drain the other one. And by the time you crack into that, if you ever do, there's nothing on it. So goodbye. It's like having somebody rob you for your wallet, but you have no money in your wallet. So you're like, here, go ahead. I'm going to call the credit card companies and go get a new ID next week. I don't – it's not convenient, but go screw yourself. I don't care because I'm out nothing. That's, that's what it's like. Moving on, uh, I want to talk about moving toward, like, looking into the future now and how Bitcoin solves so many problems for us. And I'm sorry, crypto bros, but crypto is a thing. Blockchain, not Bitcoin, all your shit doesn't. There, there is nothing compared to the community building on Bitcoin as a technology right now in the world. There will o- when it comes to money, there will only be one winner. When it comes to something being the money, there will only be one winner. And that doesn't mean people might use other things, but only when they have to. But people will prefer the one money. And Bitcoin's won that race. I don't have time to talk about that further today. It just is. But against gold and silver in one category, and this is where gold and silver will never become what the gold and silver bugs want ever again, global money. Bitcoin is uncensorable money and gold and silver are not, are not. Let's, again, use an analogy here. I decide Bobby's here and, and, and he's got a beer up. So Bobby's my connection, bro. But let's say Bobby's my connection for the sacred herb, the devil's lettuce, right? And I'm like, so I want to go buy the devil's lettuce from Bobby. So and Bobby's like, what the hell? How do I get into this? Don't worry, man. We could it's a different body. Right. And so I go to buy and let's say it's the, the days before, you know, cannabis has been highly decriminalized and legalized a lot of places. Let's say this is 1986 and I got a mullet. Right. Just for fun. And I'm, I'm rolling around in my 455 Rochester Quadrajet Grand Prix, you know, with, with 60s on the back. Right. Tearing stuff up in the coal country. And I go out and I buy the devil's lettuce from Bobby with silver or dollars or gold. And if the police catch us and they want to verify the transaction beyond just the possession of the little bit of devil's lettuce, because if it's, let's say, it's a quarter ounce, even back then, it's not that big of a deal. But if you have trafficking, if you have dealing, you have distribution, you have a different situation. So they're looking for two pieces of evidence, right? They're looking for the devil's lettuce, and they're looking for the U.S. uh, space credit cabbage. They want both of them. Yeah? What if the money was invisible? What if the money was invisible and you only had one side of the transaction, the product? And what if the product itself wasn't illegal? Let's say instead of buying the devil's lettuce from from Bobby, I'm buying uh, raw milk. Well, selling raw milk is illegal in some places still because the government just can't leave people alone. But the possession of it is not. So if I want a transaction for that, and this is a real world transaction, and and, and this is where it's, you know, gold and silver are weak, but they still have a place. But where we're going to go next, they have no place left. They've been pushed out by technology. But then all you have, right, is, well, what is this? It's milk. Is it raw milk? I don't know what's raw milk. Well, is it from a cow? Is it all milk? Yeah, you, know, you can play stupid. but yeah, I guess it, under your definition, I guess it's raw milk. Well, you're selling it to him. You liar. I didn't sell him anything. And you have no form of, 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 of consideration tendered as evidence. You have the single side of the transition. Bill gave Bob raw milk. So what? It's not illegal. It's not illegal unless it's sold. So the money is invisible. The money is uncensorable. The money is unseizable. Because the other thing that's going to happen in this transaction is Bill gives Bob money for a thing, and the state says you're not allowed to do it. Not only do they take the thing and maybe put Bill and Bob in cages, you know, different cages for different lengths of time depending on which side of the transaction they're on, they also take what? The money. They take the money which is what they really want, by the way. They take the money. They seize the money from the transaction. Even though two people consented to the transaction and nobody's mad at anybody else, they took the money too because we can't have profit and crime unless we're the state. Then we can profit like crime every day, all day long, nonstop. With Bitcoin, you've removed that. Silver and gold do not remove that. But let's change things up a little bit. Jack wants to do business with Rachel. Rachel's up near Allentown. I know that because Rachel's told me before. And I say, Rachel, I want you to send me 10 cuttings from your 10 pretty cool fig plants that have survived in Pennsylvania. And Rachel says, that will be $10 a piece for each rooted cutting. And I say, fine, I will send you $100. Let's look at some different ways this transaction could go down. I could send Rachel an envelope in the mail with a hundred bucks in it. It's subject to being stolen by the post office, and they do. I could use a third party like the United States government in the form of a money order that I would have to go buy, put in an envelope or sell, or a third party like a bank and put a check and send it to Rachel, which both will create a trail of paper between Rachel and I and require trusting a third party. Yeah. Or I could say, Rachel, do you have a Bitcoin address? And she would say yes and send it to me. And I would go beep. And in 10 minutes, she has payment. Even if Rachel is not supposed to sell me this fig tree, good luck stopping it. She sending me a box with 10 sticks in it. Yeah. I sent her some numbers. How are you going to censor this? Especially if we're all rolling around with our Start9 and Umbral boxes and shit, running our own encrypted... Do you see what I'm saying? You want parallel economy. And you want something that could function in the general economy at the same time. Bitcoin is it. We've never had anything that does what Bitcoin does. And anything that's close to, like you say, it's Litecoin or something else, None of them live up to the gold standard, the immaculate conception, or the, the most secure network that mankind has ever built that Bitcoin has. Participation is the network effect. And see, Xavier says, I'm ascribing a level of anonymity to Bitcoin that it doesn't have, though. No, I'm not. You are doing that because you're taking what I'm saying and you're adding to it because you're so used to hearing it from people that don't know what they're talking about X. I'm not ascribing that at all. I'm saying that if you don't know my address and her address, it doesn't matter. It's just a transaction. If you do know, you still don't get to do anything about it. What are you going to do? Take it? Like, when I sit here and I send her a, a DM on Telegram encrypted, and she says, I want 100 Bitcoin, and I say, here it is, there's nothing there to track that. Now, if you target Jack Spirico, if you target Rachel, that's different. That's different. And everybody wants to point to Silk Road, but I'm just going to say, you know, Ross and the people running Silk Road, they were not self-custodying their freaking Bitcoin. Just saying. Not all of it anyway. And most of what was found, that's how it was really found. Plus, things were public, very public. It was a hotbed of black market stuff going on. When you talk about the kind of thing I'm talking about here, good luck trying to do it good luck trying to do it and then when we add something like the lightning network and you have thousands upon thousands and thousands of transactions you know for fractions of a cent going on good luck good luck and you know we're not going to get a vpn Zex. because if you're not using a vpn i don't care what you're using your transactions aren't private Because if I can see what you're doing on your computer, it doesn't matter that the transaction itself is private. I know what you sent and where it went to. So anyway, we're not talking about being private here. We're talking about being uncensorable. We're talking about security versus privacy. You can say, I have this Bitcoin. It's up to you to prove it. And if you want it, it's up to you to get it. And if it's in my bank account, it's in my name, and they get it with a letter to your bank. So you can keep fighting reality or you can embrace reality. Anyway, um, I also want to talk about the Noster marketplace a little bit here. It's very new. Nostr is very new. Noster is in the sandbox of sandboxes. Like There's a sandbox, and that's Noster. And then there's a sandbox of new shit on blockchain in, in implementing uh, Bitcoin technology. That sandbox. And one sandbox is in the other. It's very, very new. It's very, very new. So nothing works perfectly yet. Right now, if I access my NOSTER uh, credentials through, um, what is it, IRIS, it only shows about half my followers if, then compared if I go to Snort, and they all have the same relay. So I don't get it, right? So just understand everything I'm about to say. It's a beta of the beta of the beta of the alpha, all right? But they are starting to roll out NOSTER Marketplace, And what we're going to end up with, and this is why Noster will, yeah. You know what, X, there's a guy saying right now, BTC will be the CBDC. So the level of ignorance that requires is such that I do not have the time to correct it. It it really, it is, that is a clung to willful ignorance. And he's probably a shill for some privacy coin. Just saying. Probably Monero, but what do I know? Anyway, so... um, The Noster thing and the reason Noster will succeed is because it's not an app. It's a protocol. It's a protocol. And what I mean by that is how many email clients are there? And there's lots of them, right? Some people use Thunderbird. Some old, old, old guys like me still use Outlook, right? There's all types of clients to interact with, with different mail, but the mail itself is on protocols. So if somebody builds a really shitty email client, it doesn't hurt email. And since email's useful, there'll be enough people that build clients, that there'll be enough good clients that email will succeed as it has. Because when email started, there were a whole bunch of old men yelling at email. And by the way, I'm going to tell you something. When the web started up, you know, all this bullshit about... Bitcoin uses too much energy. Bitcoin uses too many computers it uses too much energy. It's a threat to the environment. They said all that shit about the internet. Then they said all that shit about email. They did calculations on how many servers there would be and it would use all the energy in the known universe in five seconds blah 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 It was all it's the same argument. It's just as stupid. But despite all the attacks, all the resistance, all the hatred, all the fud, email succeeded right? HTTP, which is how you access stuff in your browser, succeeded because it was independent of the clients that use it. And the client isn't you, the person. The client is the piece of software. If you use the Brave browser, it is your client by which you browse the web. And if Brave sucks and you decide to use Chrome, well, you can. And this is the important, important thing to comprehend. Yeah? With Noster. It's the same thing. Noster's not a company. Noster's not an app. You don't go to Noster.com and set up an account. Noster is a protocol. Snort is a web client, a website you can go to, and interface using that protocol. So is Iris. So are tons of other ones. And it works a lot like Bitcoin in that you have a public key, And because it's published to your key, you know, it might say Jack Speargo, but there's a public key behind it. It's in the notes below if you want to follow me down there. And only I have the private key to go with that public key to publish onto that record. So you know it's me. You know it's not somebody pretending to be me, even though people do pretend to be me and do so quite often. Good time for our disclaimer on the screen right there, right? Okay, so you know it's me but nobody can write onto my account without that private key. So it kind of works the same way. What this means is when people look at this right now and they say, well, snort Iris, all these things with these funny names, all they are is Twitter clones for now. There's already other things and marketplaces being built on top of Noster. It will certainly integrate, you know, with apps or clients call them what you want to like snort, but there will be clients that only exist to buy and sell, that we'll use Noster, and it can't be censored. And I, I do see things, like, uh, as from a standpoint of what is the disruption? And you know when you're really disrupting shit? When you're disrupting shit that doesn't look disruptable. People think it's actually hard to, like, disrupt giant industries. Like, for technology like uber or lyft to disrupt the taxi industry that's kind of actually easy because this taxi industry is centralized and uber and lyft are a decentralized form of centralized technology so while uber and lyft are central authorities they use a decentralized group of nodes we call them drivers and that made them unstoppable so that's actually a pretty ripe target when you have something that's really disruptive, you disrupt things that in themselves are seem to be decentralized. How's that work? So there's a whole shitload of Americans today that this is how they earn their income. They learn about certain things that people will pay more money for than they should. Collectibles, unique items, garbage crap, antiques, whatever, right? And they go around to thrift stores and they know like, Here's a list of 50 books. If I see any of these books, buy them. Don't worry, just do it. And they get more and more sophisticated with knowing what to buy and what to pull into their inventory and then put on websites, whether it's eBay or Etsy or who the hell knows what, you know, fast sell now or whatever it is, right? Correct. Who cares? Doesn't matter. Facebook marketplace. And all they do is go out and find stuff. Take good pictures of it. You know, the really good ones get light boxes and all, so they get good imagery. They do a good write-up, and they put it up for sale, and they make money on the profit. Yeah? Okay. Noster is going to enable shit like this to happen. Jack is one of these people. Jack goes down to the local, uh what do you call it, Goodwill, right? And I start walking through there, and I start putting shit in my cart, just like a normal flipper. And every time I put something in my cart, I take a little video about it, I talk about it, et cetera. And I start a timer and I say I found these 10 items that I think would be interesting to my followers, my group of captive audience that I sell to now. And uh, I'm going to be here for another 15 minutes. I'm taking payment right now. Here's my seller credit that shows that I always ship what I promise. And then I take all my orders and everything that doesn't sell. I just put it back on the shelf. I've just disrupted what looked undisruptible. I've just changed the entire game of flipping shit out of garage sales and what have you. At the same time, since it's two-way communication, I can literally have people saying, I know Jack's a good hunter. I know he's going to find this thing, and they could be putting up deposits so that if they're not watching when I do that, when I find their thing, I say I've got it. They get a message. They confirm, and the deposit holds it until they make payment. Do you understand what I just said? Okay, if you are only thinking about the scenario I just described, you don't get it. That is one thing that we can do with this. And you know who can stop it? Nobody. Unstoppable network for sharing information meets unstoppable network for exchanging value And this is the important part. None of them are companies. None of them are centrally controlled. Anybody, anywhere, can integrate and build on top or build them into their things. The same with the Lightning Network. You do not need a license or an approval to integrate Lightning into your application. I keep talking about a traffic app that would let people tip each other for information. Hey, there's a cop here. Oh, shit, there was a cop here. Give this guy 500 sacks. No, you you don't need... If you wanted to do that on the Visa network, there's all kinds of regulatory bullshit you have to go through, plus the fees make it implausible. It doesn't work. But anybody tomorrow can integrate Lightning into anything that they want. And when an MIT professor rolls out a feature for Lightning that improves the entire network, you benefit from it. The boomer payment networks that many people that talk shit about Bitcoin, you're out there using MasterCard Visa every day while you talk about Bitcoin not being private. So just will you please shut your big, fat boomer mouth, okay? You're using a boomer payment network that has basically been the same since 1965 that tracks everything you do and you're going to tell me that Bitcoin is a CBDC. Go blow it out, your boomer ass. You have no idea what you're talking about. And normal people that accept new reality... Don't have time for you. Go buy gold and pray to the picture of Peter Schiff on your wall. Okay? I hate to go there, but there's some chatter on it. So we're just just responding to that. Um, When we create a thing that any technology can integrate with. So what I'm saying here is, like, you can't build on Visa. You can't build on MasterCard. You can't build On PayPal. Yeah. You can't build on top of Cash App. You can't do it. It doesn't work. They won't let you. It's not an open protocol. Noster, Bitcoin, Lightning are open protocols. And what's about to be unleashed will make the little scenario I gave you of like secret shopping for people, basically. You know, it'll be one of the most minor pedantic things ever done to it. And people will become millionaires from it. Imagine if you never, if you were in the business of flipping and you, you were able to build your book of business beyond what eBay said you were allowed to, you were to have an independent seller's reputation score, right? Right that that can't be manipulated outside the system, and only people in the system get to play in it, right? You can take payment from anybody anywhere in the world. You can have an algorithm instantly calculate where this person needs it shipped to, what the shipping's going to be. A single payment and done. You take no risk on inventory because you're already paid. And you're going to tell me, this is a CBDC, man. Can't help you. Can't help you. And and what we have is we have a significant number of people out there still in the world today. And this is what you are, whether you want to admit it or not. You are bitter. And I don't know why the ones that are tune into this. You're bitter that people like me told you to do this 10 years ago and you didn't. So you're trying to justify your decision. Right? Yep. Hunter says PA Prepper needs this. He's great at funding. He is. He's a scrounge. But a scrounge with that app is a millionaire, right? Hanging Laundry says, sometimes it'd be cool if you did a rebuttal show on current anti-Bitcoin FUD. Unfortunately, it's turning into that today, isn't it? I really don't want it to be. Let's keep going, Um, which is interesting because I have another bullet point here in a second, the next one, that's about FUD. But I want to talk about how Bitcoin monetizes stranded energy. This is like one of the most important things, and everybody's heard, I guess, by now, unless you've had your fingers in your ears and you're going, nah, 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 and you don't want to, that Bitcoin actually stabilizes the electrical grid. Because Bitcoiners can locate their mining operations right near power generation, and they can buy all the surplus power when the surplus is there, and there's plenty of it, and they can shut off in a second. Okay, if you were running – if you Amazon Web Services wants to make the same deal, right? So they're hosting tens of thousands of websites in this one data center. They're adjacent to a power generation facility buying the surplus power at a discount. That all works. Now, the power generation says, hey, a super heat wave, super cold wave, big uh, something knocked out one of the other facilities, came in. We need the surplus power. Well, Amazon can't shut off all those websites and services that are running all their clients' businesses, can they? They can't do that. It would take, and it's also like a shutdown and startup procedure that takes time. It's not an on-off switch. Bitcoiners, big, Bitcoin miners' biggest expense is mining, and it's literally click. Okay, we're not using any energy. Go ahead, take the surplus. Emergency averted. Energy company says, "Hey, we have power again. Click back on." Mining re- 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 goes, starts up again. They need the power for half a day, a day, two days, whatever. It's okay. Part of the agreement. Built into the financial model. And again, your biggest expense is the power bill anyway. So that's how it stabilizes the electrical grid. And people that want to shriek otherwise, you're wrong. I'm sorry. It's been done so many times now. And every electrical grid that it, it, operator that's brought Bitcoin in and done this with it, within a year has come out and said it saved our ass at least in one place. So we know it works. It's so minor, though. We have so many industrial processes that produce excess energy that cannot be stored because the most expensive thing in the world of energy is batteries. Yeah, it's the storage. that's Storage is more expensive than generation. Price and off-grid, eight kilowatt solar system for uh, a cabin. And if you only want panels, it's cheap. If you want enough batteries to store enough energy to make it through the darkness of the night, all of a sudden it's expensive. So what we need is a way to beyond our capacity for storage, to use surplus energy in any operation that has it. Okay. So here's an example. If I was a greenhouse grower, and I was making biochar because I don't hate money. And I know now I have whatever I'm growing, fertility aid for my what I'm growing, plus my surplus biochar is a, a sellable item, a commodity, and I'm dealing with waste at the same time. And I'm heating my greenhouse for free. So if I'm going to run a greenhouse farm in the future, especially in anything approaching a cold climate, I'm probably making biochar, especially if we're talking like a one acre, two acre or larger greenhouse operation. Because I'm not doing it, I'm stupid. Because I'm paying for heat instead of being paid to make heat. Yeah? Okay, even in that scenario, there is going to be a significant amount of energy off of that kiln system in the form of heat or synthetic gas that I cannot effectively use or store. If I use that to generate power and I mine Bitcoin with it, I'm effectively selling that excess energy that would be lost out into the universe, energy not created or destroyed, but only changed in form, that's gone. We call that being fiduciarily irresponsible. As a business, you have a thing that you could sell into a willing market for a profit that does no harm. In fact, it does less harm, because if I'm doing something like burning flare gas off of an oil well, I've either wasted it when I burned it or I vented it without burning it, which is against the law. And it's far more a pollutant as pure methane than burnt. Yeah. So by using the resource and converting it to money, I'm being fiscally responsible with my operation. I'm also being environmentally responsible because I'm not allowing the waste product to just reenter things without being properly used. Now, how many places could you see this being done? How many places do we produce surplus energy that's never used, that's lost? If you use something and you're not looking for heat from it, and when you shut it off, it's hot, that's lost energy. That's wasted energy. That's one way to gauge it, but it's an easy way to gauge it. When you drive your car to your house, you shut the car off, park it in your garage, close the door... And the temperature in the garage goes up a little bit. At least you've captured some of the engine heat. But all that heat that the vehicle radiated after you're not using it anymore was energy that was spent that wasn't used. Walt says it's everywhere, and it is. Do so you know that they have – here's an example of, like, really a smart modern engineering way to harness lost energy. There's bridges now. And, you know, bridges have lots of lights on them, that the lights on the bridges are run by generators that, that generate electricity from the vibrations in the bridge from the cars driving over them. So bridges move more than you'd be comfortable with if you understood how much. And a big, long suspension bridge with lots of cars and trucks going over it all day long moves significantly. And they put these little inertial generators in them and they generate power and that power goes to batteries and then the batteries the 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 residual energy from the vehicles conversing the bridge will run the lights on the bridge and maybe not 100 percent but cut the electric bill to almost nothing which is a huge electric bill right that's just an example how many ways do we generate energy inefficiently With wasted surplus, could we harness it? And what you start to realize then is you start to open up development into places where you could not afford to do it. So if you have a hydrological resource in a relatively small area with a small population, then generating power with it to provide that local population with electricity probably doesn't make economic sense on the return. Because you can generate way more power than you can sell, and you have a cap on how many people live there that will buy the power, yeah? But if we can take the surplus and sell it immediately at a profit, now we can afford to leverage debt to go in and develop that area, which will also bring the population of it up over time and build your own customer base. Because when you wanted New York City to become New York City, they had to build the subway system. The subway system made New York City what it is. Before that, it wasn't there. It's, it's, it's an interesting, interesting thing. We need to be using it to, to harvest stranded electricity. And this is the reason that every industry that has potential for it eventually will. You can't afford not to. Let's go back to my scenario, right? Um, I open a two-acre greenhouse in Fort Worth, and my main target for my produce is high-end restaurants in Dallas-Fort Worth. And I grow super high-quality greens, microgreens, vegetables, and I'm selling to all these RT t restaurants that market farm-to-table and local food. You do the same thing. You have a two-acre greenhouse. You have the exact same clientele you want to go after, all right? And I walk in, and our food is very close in quality. Like, the chef looks at it and goes, yeah. Both of these are great. Either one I'm happy to have as my supplier. What's left to make the decision? Assuming we have the same quality and the same service. Like when I say your delivery will be there at 8 o'clock on Tuesday, your delivery is going to be there 8 o'clock on Tuesday. You're doing the same thing. So you don't have better service. We have the same quality. What's left now? What's left is do you relationship? Do you like me better? That's hard to overcome But there's one thing that often overcomes, and there it is, From been waiting for it, Walt drops it, price. Okay, if I'm selling all my surplus energy, and I don't have a heating bill, and you do, who's going to have a better price? How hard is it going to be for me to come in and beat your price by 3%? Not hard. I'm going to make more money selling for 3% less, and in that market, restaurants, Because restaurant owners are in large part stupid. I'll explain why in a second. Don't make a decision over that 3%. Don't make a decision over that 3% like that. Oh, okay. Well, this one's less and it's just as good. I'm buying the one that's less. And I know it. I know it because we had a restaurant that was so far away. We had a delivery cost in between, which jacked up our price. We sold them 80 dozen duck eggs a month for a year 80 dozen a month for a year they ended up taking the item they were selling and they they sold out like we actually couldn't get them more and do it ethically but we averaged 80 dozen a month for a year and they put one egg per plate and it was an appetizer and they sold out every month the appetizer sold for 14 dollars 13.99 and when they said, we're going to have to take it off the menu because we really can't afford the egg, which is what made the dish. Without the egg, it just wasn't a thing anymore. I said, why don't you just raise the price of the plate a dollar from 14 to $15? Oh, we can't do that. What do you mean you can't do that? Oh, we can't. Who the hell that pays $14 for an appetizer and a yuppie restaurant is going to say no because it's $15? Couldn't see it. So I know that market is vulnerable to price heavily. So if I go into that market and I can undercut my competitor and make more profit, I'll kill them. I'll destroy them. So if you don't do this in the future, you're going to get killed. If you're in an energy-wasting business, and most businesses are, there's some way to harvest that surplus energy. Right now, there are factories that have been built. One of my best friends built one of them on the coast of Texas. They talked about during the Trump years, manufacturing coming back. They're owned by Chinese companies. There's capped gas wells. They built the factory, yeah, okay, on the capped gas well, put in giant generators, and one of the reasons, in addition to tariff situations and lower corporate income taxes in the U S now that they came here is because it's completely kosher for them to generate all their own electricity and pay no electric bill in a highly electric intensive manufacturing process, right? Those wells will produce more gas for longer than that factory will exist than it can ever use. There's a lot of surplus heat being generated. There's a lot of surplus energy there every one of those factories could be mining lots of Bitcoin at no real cost to itself other than the initial equipment. You don't think that's going to, that, that, that idea of capturing stranded energy for a profit is going to go viral. Then you don't understand the viral nature of money. Nothing's more viral than money. Never forget that. Um, I also want to have a little bit why I ignore all the Bitcoin fud. They're gonna ban it. It's a CBDC. It's because I'm bored. I'm bored with your shit, right? I'm bored with it because I've heard it ten years. Bitcoin's gonna fail. They're gonna ban it. It's gonna be used. You're gonna find out. They're gonna take it away from you. They can actually shut it down. Whatever. I'm done. Okay. There's a certain amount of time that a system operates for. And when that system does the thing that it's supposed to do for at least that amount of time, it's not that nothing can ever go wrong. It's that there's a lot. Most of the things that those people bet their actual lives on are far more likely to fail than freaking Bitcoin is. Most of these people, again, I don't know why Bitcoin, the government can see it. And again, they have all their money. In mutual funds, in a 401k thing with a report that goes to the government every year, they do all their spending through their bank on MasterCard or Visa debit cards. And they want to tell you about Bitcoin not being totally private. And then they tell you, well, I believe in gold. And they have no gold. They're barely getting by in their life. They've not saved anything, or they're 100% invested into the fiat system. The mining, See, X, I don't know what happened to you, man. I think you hit your head. The mining is centralized. No, it's not. There's a, a little bit. You will know, we'll just hit that one, and then we'll go on. Mining is not centralized. Mining is centralized because this pool has 41% of the mining power or whatever. These two pools are over 50%, or these three pools are over 50%. It doesn't matter. Who makes up that pool? I have miners. I'm in a pool. That pool has a lot of mining hash rate power. Who decides that I'm in that pool? Me. Who can change it? Me. I can log in on my computer right now and switch pools. Does that pool get to direct what its mining power does? No. No, it doesn't get to direct what its mining power does. My machine is contributing its hash power based on how my machine is configured. I'm just using your pool as a way that I get paid. It's not centralized. That's like, that's like saying that, that because you and I both use dollars that we're centralized. It's nonsense. There's, there's so much. And again, this is the thing. Like, all of the FUD, it takes 15 seconds to refute it. And you refute it to the same person over and over again, and they just keep repeating it. So it's, it, it's, I'm at the point where it's boring. And, and I ask people when they say this shit... How okay if in 10 more years Bitcoin's chugging along, it's a million dollars of Bitcoin, will you still save, say this same stupid shit? And most of them, if you push them hard enough, they know in their heart the answer is yes, they will still say it. You some of you guys, you'll be freaking like geriatric, you'll have the walker with the tennis balls on the front feet, Bitcoin's still going to zero, you know. And your freaking your grandkids are probably going to be paying for your elder care in Bitcoin and you'll still be saying it like it gets in people's heads. And I, I encourage you to start letting go of this shit because all it does is hold you back in your ability to attack what's next. Like I said last week, Bitcoin isn't wealth and there is a portion of the Bitcoin community that's confused about this. Bitcoin isn't wealth. Bitcoin is money. And as money, it is a means of exchange and it is a store of value. If a thing is to be money, it most must be both. That doesn't mean its value is not subjective to market forces, because the most no matter what it is, as far as a stable coin, is still subject to things like inflation and deflation on the on the supply side. Right? Bitcoin is money. It is the most trustless, most pristine, hardest money humanity has ever discovered. And discovered is the right word. But it's not wealth. It is just a tool that can be used in the building and the preservation of wealth. It's just one way that we build wealth. Property is wealth. Bitcoin is a type of property and it's a form of money because it's transferable. It's non-custodially transferable. Okay, where real property has a little bit more goes on to a transfer. But real property is also a form of wealth. Tools are a form of wealth. Knowledge are a form of wealth. Social capital, experiential capital are forms of wealth. And if you are to build wealth, it is like a fire. It's a fire and fires require effort to get them going they require energy to be put in to get the initial spark to turn into a small flame and then they have to be fed and if you don't want the fire to go out you have to continue to tend and build and increase the fire and fuel must keep going in. bitcoin is simply the best fuel for the building and tending of wealth that's ever been created but it's not wealth it's not wealth and when you say that it is, you're missing the point. Wealth is the ability to live your life on your terms, and that means it requires a hell of a lot more than just money. I can let, let, let's let's go to an extreme analogy. I'll give you one billion dollars. Woohoo! You have wealth, do you? You have a billion dollars. You have it in cash. No tax due on it. Right, You have a billion dollars in $100 bills. You feeling pretty good? Okay. You'll probably need about a 10 by 10 by 10 area to stack your $100 bills. So I'm going to give you a 10 by 20 area room, steel, little windows with bars that you can look out of, and I'm going to give you a billion dollars. And you don't even have to spend your money on the food. I'm going to feed you three meals a day. And if you need medical care, you'll get medical care. You have a toilet to shit in in there. You have a shower to take a shower and you have fresh, new clean clothes every day and you have a piece of exercise equipment and a TV set and a computer, but it only, it only communicates in, you can't communicate out and you got your billion dollars. How wealthy are you? How wealthy are you? You're nothing but a prison bitch. Your money means nothing because of the circumstances you're in. You know one of the big lies, remember uh, Gilligan's Island? Remember that the Howls, the rich couple, that they lived a life of leisure on the island because they were no you no <laughs> it was it was a comedy. It was okay. It was a good show. It was fun. But no. How much is your wealth worth like that on a desert island? Who's wealthier on a desert island? The guy that has a billion dollars in a trust fund back in the states that he's never going to see or the person that terraforms the island to provide all their needs. Money is just one piece in that puzzle. Bitcoin's just the best money we have. It's keystone. It belongs in your life, but in and of itself. And this is the problem, and this is what leads to the shit. Well, I think silver. Because you're thinking silver is wealth. Same thing. I give you a billion dollars worth of silver on that island. The best thing you can do with it is like try to find a little bit of tin to mix in with it to make it harder and use it to make spears for fish. It's useless without some place to exchange it into, without other things in your life. Yeah. So I I ignore it all, but I can't ignore Bitcoin. Here's why. Again, I've been listening to, again, my annual uh, read or listen to The Richest Man in Babylon. I was rich re- listening to it today. And it's a series of tales and different characters and how they built their wealth and how they came back from, you know, being deeply in debt or sometimes being completely enslaved or whatever. But in this story, there's a siege. There's a siege and the enemy is at the gates of Babylon and the soldiers are defending it as best they can. And they're ramming the bronze gates and they're trying to scale the walls and Soldiers defending Babylon are getting hit with arrows as they dump hot oil over onto the marauders. And This goes on for five weeks. For five weeks, the people keep coming to the captain of the guard because they don't want to go up on the top of the walls and look. That's where you get killed from the enemy spears and arrows coming in. And they ask the captain of the guard, will we be okay? Will we be safe? You know, my husband's home. He wants to come fight, but he's He's infected from his wounds in battle and, or we're old and we can't, or my mom says that if we, you know, they're going to come take us. And the captain of the guard sticks his chin up every, every single one of them and says, the walls will not fail. Go home and tell your family. They will be safe. We will defend them. These walls have never failed. They've stood for a hundred years. Now, when you're, when you're reading it or listening to it for the first time, you're like, The walls are about to fill because the government always lies. But in this case, five and a half weeks go by. And then one day they hear a distinctive change in the sound and they look over the walls in the darkness of the evening. And they see dust as the enemy, having been repelled over and over and having hauled its dead away over and over and over again, has decided whatever's in those walls is it worth this anymore? And it retreats. And a cheer goes across the seas, the, the city spreading almost like a virus. It's so fast. It's so terrible. It's sound, but it's joyous. And the wall's held. And the author makes the assertion, and this was pretty true at the time, that our way of governance and our banking system and our deposit insurance and everything like that For your wealth today is like the walls of Babylon, as good as money in the bank. That's the inference. That you should be grateful that you live in a society that so values individual property rights, that no one's going to come take your wealth from you. No other man has a claim on your wealth. In 1925, 1929, even during the Depression and all, this was pretty true. A bank might have had a bank run on it, but nobody was going to just take your money from the bank. Yeah. It was safe. And if you owned a stock, nobody was just going to take your stock. The company could fail. You could make a bad investment, but nobody would just steal the value of your stock. Since our money was still based on gold when this book was written, your money couldn't be stolen through inflation. That which you earned, and you set aside the portion that was yours to keep, and that you made into your slave by renting your gold for a fair rental price, and you made your gold work for you, you were good. Let me ask you if that is true of your wealth today in the United States. Do you feel safe and secure that your wealth will not be seized or that your ability to transact with your wealth will not be impeded? Do you believe that they will not decide that you just don't need to do business with Xavier Hawk because we don't like him? In fact, you know what, Bill? We don't have any problem with Bill. For your own protection, we don't want you dealing with that nefarious renegade Xavier Hawk who's hit his head recently, yeah? We don't want you to do that, so it's your money. You can do. It. You can't give it to Xavier. We won't let you. And do you honestly feel that we're not going to get to a point where they just decide entire classes of things don't belong in our civilized banking system? The government doesn't even have to do this. The banks can do it on their own. We won't let you use our payment method to do business with these people. That's already happened. So even if you have the wealth, if you don't have your back in your, your cage, there's nothing to spend it on. Or you can only spend it on the things that I decide you're allowed to spend it on. How free are you? Like, no, we don't think you should be able to donate to the Canadian truckers. Thank you for the $10 super K-Bonk. In fact, since you did donate to some truckers blowing some horns, and we have determined that they are domestic terrorists, we don't think you need to use your bank account at all, at least until we figure out what your role in this terrorist plot are. Does anybody feel like nothing like that would happen ever? You know, we have a member of this New England who the state of Massachusetts said, you owe us monies, please. Give us the monies now. And this person doesn't even live in Massachusetts. They live in another state. They had a bank account in another state. In a regional bank that had no banks in Massachusetts. And this person said, No, I don't owe you that money. And they are disputing whether the money was owed or not. The state of Massachusetts filed some paperwork. By the way, this is not a new story. This is like five years older than one. The bank that this individual was banking at locked his account and just gave the state of Massachusetts the amount of money that they said they were due. And even though there was some money left in the account, it took a while before he could even get his account unlocked, even though they already took the money they wanted. So do you feel like the walls of Babylon around this great economic empire we call America secure your wealth and you can count on them to protect you just because they have done so for 100 years? Or do you feel like some of the barbarians are at the gate? This is why Bitcoin has to be part of your strategy. Because, again, I'm back to you can tell me that you know I have Bitcoin. A, you have to prove it. B, you have to get it. Nothing has ever been so defensible and so secure. This is the new wall of Babylon. It's not just Bitcoin, but all of the technologies that are being developed. The true decentralization of the ability to exchange information, product, and value. We are are going to create our own private, independent banking system built on top of this. And there is a place for a private banking system with checks in place to keep everybody honest with a non-inflatable monetary supply, like interagency credit, with agencies maybe being companies or towns or co-ops. There is a place for lending. It needs to be done in a way where the, the principal is protected by reasonable collateral, but the interest rate is not usury. Okay? We are going to build that. And yet every man can be his entire own payments network with a little box and a little string of code if he wants to. This is where we're going. And we're going there whether you come with us or not. I'm telling you right now, you look at your phone. You look at the apps on your phone. And you say to yourself, could I monetize this app with micropayments? If users of this app could contribute to the app by exchanging value with other users at a rate of a penny an action. Can I come up with a way to do that? If you come up with an answer that's yes, that app will be monetized or not on your device in five years. This is coming. You can deny it. You can pretend it's not true, but this is coming. And so is their shit. The walls of Babylon will crumble. The walls of Babylon are part of the infrastructure package that never passed. All of the things that we were grow, we grew up, especially Gen Xers and back, that we grew up expecting to be true in our great country, that we were taught to pledge allegiance to and to respect and all of that stuff, all of the things that we were promised are gone. The great infrastructure project of, of, of Dwight Eisenhower that built – The bridges and interstate highway system has reached the end of its expected life. In fact, it's past that. It was supposed to last 50 years. And they figured, Oh, in 50 years, we'll figure out how to do better. And we didn't. And that infrastructure is crumbling. Well, the infrastructure that was the respect of individuals and individual rights in America has crumbled just the same. Your money's not safe in the bank, not because of a bank run, but because there are actors who can seize or control your money without your consent, and there isn't anything you can do about it. So you need a Citadel. You know this idea of the Bitcoin Citadel cities and all? Yeah, it was an idea floated around. Just a, It was a, a thing a guy wrote for attention, basically. It was like he had this dream that he went in the future or some shit. And there were these cities that was all Bitcoiners in them. And they had the great big walls. And you couldn't get in unless you bought your way in. And we were completely. That's all a freaking metaphor, guys. That's all a metaphor. The Citadel is each man's ability to take some of their wealth in the form of programmable money. They can go anywhere, anytime, place in seconds at the speed of light. And put a crucible around it that says, thou shall not touch, thou shall not have, go screw. That's what it is. And if you don't build your own walls and you rely on a third party's walls, you may find either that the walls crumble or they're really, really secure. And you just didn't think that you about the fact that you were on the inside while they were being built. You may end up in a society with your CBDCs where your CBDCs that you own are very secure. No one's taking them. But you can't get them out. And you can't do what you want to with them. And everything you do will be taxed at every movement of every penny. Because if you want the end game for CBDCs, a lot of the scary shit, like they won't let you buy, you know, XYZ or whatever, it's less than that. You want the real end game? You want somebody to tell you what it is? It's taxation. It's an automated value added tax at every expenditure everywhere in the world all at the same time. And if you dollarize the world through pushing a U.S. dollar CBDC out to the world, which is the plan, then the United States becomes a taxing authority on all transactions on the planet. And you just call it a transaction fee. That's fair. All blockchains have them. No, it's global taxation. And it's, it's, it's a tax on any time anybody uses your CVDC. And if they, well, it's, it's, it's there's no fees on it. <laughs> it's centralized, fool. Anytime. I want to add a fee. It'll be tiny at first. And I told you how they're going to sell it to the right. Didn't I? Did you miss that? Because say you sell CVDCs to the right, first of all, There is a CBDC launching in, right now it's planned to launch in June or July this summer from the Federal Reserve. It's going to allow instant transactions 24 7, 365, kind of like Bitcoin does. No fees, voluntary. And you'll be able to use it as someone who is approved to transmit and receive or just to be a receiver. So you'll receive it with this transaction technology, but it'll still be in your bank account as regular old dollars. You can do whatever you want with it for now. But what do you think is going to happen? All they're going to do is they're going to go out to the right and say, now that we have this wonderful technology that works so well, it's completely voluntary, mind you. We need to turn our attention to these people on welfare. Do you know that people on welfare take the welfare money and buy drugs? These people on welfare take the welfare money and they commit crimes. It's actually a very small portion of the money that that kind of thing happens with. Right. But, you know, the right. Oh, OK, so but if, what we could do is if you're getting the government's money for a welfare program, we could just make sure that the money is spent for the type of things that it's meant for, like food and housing and medical care and, and rent and things like that. Well, who would object to that? Sounds perfectly reasonable. It always sounds perfectly reasonable. The devil's contract is always perfectly reasonable if you don't read the fine print and the additional clauses, yeah? So that's how you get it in place. That's how you develop the tech. That's how you get everybody accepted. And it just slowly spreads out in everything. And then you tax everybody on everything that they do ever. And you know everything that everybody ever did ever. Or you build your Citadel. You move some of your wealth outside of that system while you can. And those that are like, what if they cut off the ability to go back into it? First of all, they won't. But second of all, if you do it right, you won't want to. I'm just saying. All right. Now, I want to talk about why I am not afraid of CBDCs, why I'm not afraid of Klaus Schwab and the WEF and all. And you might think it's because of everything I just said about the citadel nature of Bitcoin and go for it, bitches, and things like that. Well, no. It's that I'm not dumb enough to assign to them a level of capability, competency, and intelligence that they do not have. The threat to us as free beings is our brothers and sisters around us who do that and think that it's necessary to side with them it's the mob that is the culmination of Bonhoeffer's theory of stupidity it is the idiots who will go along and get along who will comply who if they came up with another new variant tomorrow for the covid and said this one is super serial and we need to go back into lockdowns and put masks on again would we'll just do it and actually yell at people who didn't, even when they knew it was wrong. It's one thing that people are so mentally disturbed or so stupid, right? It's one thing if that's the case, you know, and, and they actually believe it. But there's a whole shitload of people who will just monkey see, monkey do, and they know it's not necessary. If you ask them, like, do you think that thing on your face does anything? They're like, No. But they'll, they'll do it. It's the same with this. It's the same with this. The, the danger is how many people are just going to comply because that's easier than not complying. It's the guy and they live, you hand them the glasses, he puts it on and goes, Holy shit, you were right. Here, I don't want these. It's the majority of people. But it only takes three, four, 5%. 10% is a majority when it comes when it's free thinking people who choose a different way and mankind has always triumphed over these things in mass across time for every empire there has been a fall and the harder an empire tried to grow the faster and larger an empire had to grow the quicker it eventually fell and the harder it felt. And what you're thinking is that this relatively small amount of people can control you, if you choose to be controlled. And you're right. I choose not to be controlled. I'm not afraid because I'm not out of options. You know, be, and I'd like to think I would still face it with dignity. But what would be frightening is to be told. Mr. Spirico, you have cancer, it's untreatable and terminal, and you have four months to live, and there is absolutely nothing we can do for you. I'd still look for options. I'd still have that denial phase, and maybe you find something. I don't know. But that would be frightening because you're kind of out of options, especially with that duration timeline. You know, if you're in that situation, you probably are like two months from not being able to move much. That's frightening. That's frightening. They can do whatever they want with their central bank digital currency. They can put all the freaking bugs they want into fake meat patties. They can do anything. I'm still going to do what I want to do. I'm still going to grow my own food. I'm still going to do business with the guy that sells a cow down the road. He takes Bitcoin, right? I I'm I, I'm still going to do my thing. When they when they came in with this COVID's crap. For about the first month, so many people freaked out that even people like me that weren't afraid to go out, we didn't have nowhere to go. And real slowly, even when they said, oh, you're, you can't open up, the places just started opening up. Even when they said, oh, you have to wear a mask everywhere, the place would put the sign up that says, thank you for wearing a mask, not you're required to wear a mask. And people like me would walk in without a mask on. And other people would start taking it off. Like, there is a will, there is a human will out there. And until it's crushed in me, I I, have nothing, I don't have time to be afraid. Some of the people that are in this like, society that we've created, this community we've created, this liberty-oriented community, I don't know what you're doing here. And I'm not speaking to necessarily the people listening to me today. I don't know how many of these people are here. But especially in these larger communities, like what John's done with Greater Reset and all. Like I'm on their Telegram once in a while. I'm looking at it. I'm listening to these people talk. And I'm like, why don't you just go jump out of a building? Like, find a really tall place, mind nobody's underneath you, and swan dot, like, because you've completely quit already. Or, if you believe you're on bullshit and you don't want to jump off a building, then go do the thing to comply within the system that you say is inevitable that will do the best for you. Why are you here? Why are you here? If you believe in liberty, why have you already surrendered it before somebody's taken it from you? You're like a person that won't walk because you might trip and paralyze yourself. I don't have time to be afraid. And I don't have time for the fear, the the, the FUD, because I'm bored with it. Every objection that's been thrown at this has failed over and over miserably, over and over again. The block wars were a joke. Didn't seem like it at the time. But when you look back now, there's still people out there like that are on the crypto side, but they don't believe in Bitcoin. they a the real Bitcoin, man. Fake Toshi is the real fake Toshi, right? What's his name? Uh, Craig Wright, you know? Go price Bitcoin Satoshi Vision or Bitcoin Cash in Bitcoin from inception. This is over, but they can't accept it. They're no different than the people that can't accept the death of the dollar. The dollar is dying as a unit of account. Because if you continually devalue a thing, there's a, there's a point in time where people will cease to value it. There is. And we're there. And I'm back to how long did you think it could work? How long did you think this system could work? So the current system in the United States goes back to 1913. Yeah. Completely coming off the gold standard in 1971. So we had 1913. Then we had the 1964 Silver Coinage Act. Then we had the uh, or actually 1933 we had the revaluation against gold devaluing the dollar by almost double and then in 64 we had the coinage act and in 71 we depegged from gold even if you go from 71 you're at 50 you're at over 50 years 51 52 years 52 years of a system backed by nothing but debt how long do you think it would last how trapped in a permanent present are you? Like I said, it's like looking at an elf and thinking the elf won't die in my life. You're watching one of the ancient ones die. This ancient system of control. And again, it, it, it's like a satanic ritual where they're going to conjure up a new beast. Right? The fiat beast is dead. Long live the new fiat beast. The digital fiat beast. Yeah? But you Choose. You choose. You can choose to let fear hold you out in action. Let me tell you something about people that use all this fear, all this FUD, all this bullshit. There's the crab in the bucket. The one, the other crab, kind of gets on the side and he gets his little crab legs, his little tinkler legs up over the edge of the bucket, and he's just about to pull himself up. And you're drinking a beer so you didn't see him and knock his ass back in. And he's about to bail and he's going to hit the dock and back into the river. Yeah. And the other crab in the bucket goes, bam, and pulls him in. I don't have the energy, the time, the work, the effort, and the ethics to get out of this bucket. So I damn well don't You want you out either. I want you in here with me. No more. No more. You get out of the bucket or you stay in the bucket. Don't drag people in with you. I'm not afraid of CBDCs because if I ever use a CBDC, I'll use it for what I want to use it for. And I'll have my own money for the things that I want to use it for. And I have multiple forms of wealth that I've laid up for myself by following the most basic formula for building wealth that man has ever developed and the one that you'll never outsmart. And that is simply I, I spend less than I earn. I put my money back to work for me and I build walls of protection around my various forms of wealth. Bitcoin isn't magic. Bitcoin alone doesn't do all that. It's just the keystone in a modern wealth building formula. And it's something that really is unstoppable. With that, I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you did, remember, you can always find all of my shows where? At thesurvivalpodcast.com or just the Bitcoin ones at the bitcoinbreakout.com if you want just those. And you can always help support this show. One way to do that is become a member. Um, you know, I use my own discounts that I've negotiated and uh, I use CBD products and uh, some other uh, legal cannabinoid products as well. And just with that, my own discounts have sold, saved me more money. This month than a membership costs. Right. So that tells you the membership pays for itself. We have a lot of great discounts. Go to the survival podcast.com dot and uh, you can uh, you can uh, click on members there and learn about that program. Um, the other thing. That I wanted to uh, remind you about is you can help support this show just by doing your online shopping. At tspaz.com. That's T S P A Z tspaz.com. I do not have a new item of the day for you today. I am still running uh, what I put up yesterday, which is the Urban Worm Bag Worm Farm. Man, I love this product. Check it out if you haven't yet. It's at the survivalpodcast.com. Just scroll down a few posts and you'll find it, including the video there. I really thank you guys for tuning in today. And uh, I, I appreciate everybody here. And when I'm like coming off the top rope sometimes, guys, on the people, and especially even people like that I'm friends with, like Xavier. You guys need to understand when I'm picking on Xavier. Xavier and I are like bro friends, all right. Like so, uh, I'm not really, I'm not really trying to be mean or anything. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to make you think outside of the binary. Bitcoin good, duh. Bitcoin bad, duh. Like this is so ridiculous when people get into this idea that, like, it's all this or it's all that. Life doesn't work that way. There's nothing you go all in on without killing yourself or or creating extensive, extreme risk in your life because you have one vector of attack. But to ignore the single most successful thing measured by money that humans have ever done across a decade? Huh? Guys, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you can't. Well, you can. But all I'm going to say is, you know how disappointed you are in yourself if this is you. 2013, you're listening to the crazy redneck dog farmer. He says, you know what? This Bitcoin shit, this is some good shit. If it works out, it might be worth having some. Lay some up right now while you can and buy a little bit every week or every month. You know how disappointed you are that you didn't do it? Yeah? You'll be more disappointed in in 2033 if you don't start doing it now than you are right now that you didn't start doing it that. I don't say a lot of things you can take to the bank or that's going to happen. That one will happen. With that, I'll catch you guys tomorrow. We got a great interview lined up for tomorrow. Nothing about Bitcoin. And we'll... Work out the rest of the week and we'll be back just like we always do. Been doing this now since 2008. I ain't going nowhere. Bringing you down. Are they gonna bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have.